The way we consume and share news today, it is largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why we decided it's crucial to look at what's being discussed online. From the hottest issues to trends for our daily social media minute, we're now joined by Hyozan via Zoom. Good morning, Hyozan. Good morning, Lina. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me today as well. All right. So our first buzzword of the day, China reopening historic sites for South Korean activists. Of course, a big question at hand is what does it imply for the strained Seoul-Beijing relationship? Can you first tell us about these sites? Yes. Uh, the Chinese authorities have reportedly decided to reopen the birthplace of Yoon Dong-ju, who is a South Korean poet and independence activist who lived under the Japanese colonial rule. A staff who works for the city of Lungjing in uh, northeast China's Jilin province told South Korea's Yonhap News Agency earlier this week that this move comes after the completion of repairs at that site. And when asked about the details of the repair, however, the staff refused to comment further. And also this week, uh, Lungjing City posted on its official WeChat account that the historical site is now ready to be reopened to the public. And along with this announcement, the city also posted some photos of Yoon's birthplace. And in addition, Yonhap News Agency also uh, confirmed that Chinese authorities have reopened the exhibition hall of An Jung-gun, who is a famous South Korean freedom fighter. And this museum is located in the Lushun Prison Museum in the city of Dalian in northeast China's Liaoning province. And they said that this comes after the exhibition rooms have been closed earlier this year, citing leaks uh, following heavy rainfall. Now, had these sites reopened maybe at different times, we could have reached a different conclusion. But the timing of it all uh, brings into question, does it again imply a slightly well, at least a small effort to uh, to recover and <laughs> to at least try. Look how careful I'm with my wording to alleviate <laughs> tensions between the two countries. Uh, I remember many were expressing concerns over the closure of these aforementioned sites earlier this year. Can you fill us in on what happened then? That's right, Lina. Um, back in July this year, uh, Chinese authorities have closed down these places, including the birthplace of Yun, saying that repair works must be done at this site uh, without even providing any uh, details. Uh, and some South Korean politicians and media reports claimed back then that the closure was a result of worsened diplomatic relations between Seoul and Beijing. And because this, uh, if you remember, this was when China was actually uh, expressing dissatisfaction over the closer ties among the U.S., Japan, and Korea. I mean, also there were um, a South Korean airlines cutting routes to China, if you remember, uh, due to limited demands between the two countries. And also, on the other hand, of course, there were um, experts who dismissed such provocative claims, saying we shouldn't deliberately connect the repairs to the bilateral relations between 
the two countries. Mm. And uh, also speaking of uh, Yoon Dong-ju, I also wanted to point out this fact um, that there was a controversy a couple of years ago with the uh, largest internet portal in China, Baidu, uh, introducing him as actually Chinese. We definitely remember that discussion topic. Uh, We'll leave it there for now, but why do I feel like speculations will continue as to the timing of the reopening? But that's the context for those two sites anyway. Let's move on to our second buzzword of the day. How is Seoul City tackling crowded commutes on subways? Remember those, (laughs) Yozan? Yes, of course. Uh, And if you are Solite who uses the metro every day during rush hour, you might agree with me in saying that taking the subway at this specific hour is indeed a big nightmare. And this is probably why people even coined the word um, hell trains to describe the trains at this specific hours. And as a measure to finally alleviate these um, peak congestions, Seoul Metro has announced some plans to remove passenger seats from their trains to actually provide more space Mm. to uh, enable more passengers to actually board the train. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because that means we're just putting more people on the same subway train. But we'll wait and see. But it does sound like a plan that they needed uh, to implement sooner than later. Can you share with us maybe the details of this plan? That's right. The pilot plan actually announced by the organization will be in effect on line numbers four and seven. Well, uh, and this plan entails uh, the uh, the following, that the seating areas will be removed, as I said, in two subway cars in each train that are closest to the subway uh, station's exits, which are, as you know, uh, the ones that are frequently experiencing high and heavy congestion during these rush hours. And uh, the organization also explained that this plan will begin to take effect from January next year. And by removing these seating areas, Seoul Metro says uh, that up to 12.6 square meters of space Mm. will be made available to enable more passengers to board the subways. And as you just said, I don't know if this is a good or a bad plan because actually you're fitting actually more people in the same uh, same given space. And in addition to this, as of Monday, Seoul Metro has actually added more subway trains Mm. operating during rush showers on line numbers four and seven and more specifically uh, four more have been added to operation on line number four and two more routes in operation on line number seven And now, by this point, some of you might wonder, why is it line (laughs) numbers four and seven specifically? Actually, they provided uh, some data, uh, and this data was collected by the Seoul Metro also. Uh, These two lines still exceed 150% in terms of their peak congestion levels Uh during uh, Q3 of 2023, recording up to 193% and 164% Uh occupancy, respectively. Now, these numbers are quite high. And uh, the organization also said uh, that these two lines have fewer critical components placed under their passenger seating areas. Mm -hmm. So making that uh, another safety measure as well. And so if you are taking uh, line numbers four and seven on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. maybe this could be a pleasant New Year's present for you. (laughs) In a brand new year, there might just be more standing space in the select cars of line numbers four and seven. Okay, so they had to prioritize with the ones that were most 
crowded. Those numbers are staggering, 193% and 164% of occupancy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we know because we have experienced these so-called held trains, we know how it feels like to be one of the persons <laughs> in that train, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and I'm not going to pretend like I know because honestly, um, I haven't been on a subway at this hour in a very long time oh. due to this show, but I've seen enough oh, yes, videos yes, yes, yes. and I remember. Oh. <laughs> All right, and let's jump into our... Uh, uh, third uh, buzzword of the day. Now, if you know how to pronounce this project in a more Italian accent, it makes more sense, the naming of it all. The acronym is MOSC, MOSE. It's Venice's project for flood prevention. That's right. Um, as you know, Venice is a truly beautiful city uh, located in northern Italy, mm. but it is actually notorious for aqua alta or high water events, which periodically flood major parts of the city. Uh, but it looks like that is all in the past as its anti-flooding system protected the city from an exceptional high tide earlier this week. And according to a local media outlet called ANSA, uh, the $6 billion US dollar MOSE anti-flooding system successfully protected Venice from an exceptional high tide, which also accompanied, of course, a very strong wind. And the high water reached over 150 centimeters, uh, and which would have easily flooded nearly 70% of the entire city. However, the system consisting of uh, 78 floodgates that had been in operation at the city's three lo lagoon inlets has actually kept the city dry. Mm. And several times every year between the months of September and April, uh, around this time of the year, of course, the sea level in Venice rises to flood the streets, the squares, and the beautiful palaces. And some of you might even recall on November 12th of 2019, when the city experienced the highest heights in nearly five decades, 80%, I mean, 80% of this beautiful city went underwater. And back then, water peaked at 1.87 meters. Oh, wow. More than 50 churches were flooded, schools were shut down, and of course, tourists had to cancel their trips to, to this beautiful city of Venice. And we know how much Venice relies on uh, tourism. 80% of the city going underwater. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence, but the flooding is absolutely regular. So they decide to implement this new system. I guess these repeat occurrences has prompted the city to build an entire anti-flood system. Can you tell us more about the Mose project? Mm -hmm. Of course. Uh, it's called MOSE, and which is short for Medulo Sperimentale Electromeccanico in uh, Italian or Experimental Electromechanical Module in English. Mm. And of course, just like Moses, uh, from the Bible, who parted the Red Sea uh, to enable the Israelites to flee to safety from Egypt, the sea barriers actually would rise to protect the city from a flooding. And the system, uh, as I said earlier, consists of 78 bright yellow mobile carriers buried uh, in the water, that is. And when activated, they rise above the surface to protect uh. the entire city. And it could defend uh, Venice from tides of up to three meters high. So that's major height uh, water there. And uh, however, the system actually costs a fortune to operate because it is a massive uh, 78 uh, mobile barrier that actually protects the entire city. So for it to operate just once, it costs over 210,000 US dollars. 
and the total cost of operating it 60 times so far since October of 2020, while the amount uh, it The amount actually ex- exceeded over 10 million US dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not very cost effective, is it? Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm sure they've done the math and protecting uh, its its artifacts and its churches and its castles. Like it, it's it's worth it. But I mean, who who bears the cost always becomes a big question. It's about tax money at the end of the day. 10 million dollars. Of course, <laughs> exactly. These numbers are like magnificent. They're so big, yeah. you know. But uh, if you've seen the images of the Mosey Project, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You're literally stopping seawater from rising higher and you <laughs> exactly. see like a parted sea, just yeah. like Mosey. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Yosan, for introducing that state of the art, very expensive project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate it. And we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Thank you very much for having me today and see you back tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.